Welcome to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, and another great classic short story from Jack London. This one, a tale of love lost in the bitter extremes of the Yukon. It's one of London's best. The title is The Great Interrogation. Hope you enjoy it. To say the least, Mrs. Sather's career in Dawson was meteoric. She arrived in the spring with dog sleds and French-Canadian voyageurs, blazed gloriously for a brief month, then departed up the river as soon as it was free of ice. Now womanless Dawson never quite understood this hurried departure, and the local 400 felt aggrieved and lonely till the gnome strike was made and old sensations gave way to new. Boretta delighted in Mrs. Sather and received her wide-armed. She was pretty, charming, and moreover, a widow, and because of this she at once had it heal any number of El Dorado kings, officials, and adventuring younger sons, whose ears were yearning for the frau-frau of a woman's skirts. The mining engineers revered the memory of her husband, the late Colonel Sather, while the syndicate and promoter representatives spoke awesomely of his deals and manipulations, for he was known down in the States as a great mining man, and as an even greater one in London. Why his widow, of all women, should have come into the country, was the great interrogation. But they were a practical breed, the men of the Northland, with a wholesome disregard for theories and a firm grip on the facts. And to not a few of them, Karen Sather was a most essential fact. That she did not regard the matter in this light is evidenced by the neatness and celerity with which refusal and proposal tailed off during her four-week stay. When with her vanished the fact and only the interrogation remained. To the solution, Chance vouchsafed one clue. Her last victim, Jack Coffrin, having fruitlessly laid at her feet both his heart and a 500-foot creek claim on Bonanza, celebrated the misfortune by walking all of a night with the gods. In the midwatch of this night, he happened to rub shoulders with Pierre Fontaine, none other than head man of Karen Sather's voyageurs. This rubbing of shoulders led to recognition and drinks, and ultimately involved both men in a common muddle of inebriety. Eh? Pierre Fontaine later on gurgled thickly. But for Madame Sather make visitation to this country? More better you speak with her. I know nothing at all. Only all the time her ask one man's name. Pierre, you must find these mans, and I give you much. One thousand dollar you find these mans. These mans? Ah, we. Oui. These mans name, but you call Davy Payne. We, oui, monsieur, Davy Payne. All the time her speak das name, and all the time I look round very much, work like hell, but no can find das damn mans, and no get one thousand dollar tall, by damn. Eh? Ah, we. Oui. One time those mans what come from Circle City. Those men's know these mans. Him Birch Creek, they speak. And Madame? Her say, bon, and look happy like anything. And her speak with me. Pierre, her speak. Harness the dogs. We go quick. We find these mans. I give you one thousand dollar more. And I say, we oui, quick. Allons, Madame. For sure, I think. Das two thousand dollar mine. Bully boy. Then more men's come from Circle City, and they say, No, das these mans, Davy Payne, come Dawson little time back, so Madame and I not go at all. <laughs>
Oui, monsieur. This day, madame, speak. Pierre, her speak, and give me five hundred dollar. Go by polling boat. Tomorrow we go up de river. Ah, oui, tomorrow up de river, and des dame Sika Charlie make me pay for de polling boat five hundred dollar. Damn. Thus it was, when Jack Cochran unburdened himself next day, that Dawson fell to wondering who was this David Payne, and in what way his existence bore upon Karen Sather's. But that very day, as Pierre Fontaine had said, Mrs. Sather and her barbaric crew of voyageurs towed up the east bank to Klondike City, shot across to the west bank to escape the bluffs, and disappeared amid the maze of islands to the south. Oui, madame, this is the place. One, two, three island below Stewart River. This is Tree Island. As he spoke, Pierre Fontaine drove his pole against the bank and held the stern of the boat against the current. This thrust the bow in, till the nimble breed climbed ashore with the painter and made fast. One little time, madame, I go look see. A chorus of dogs marked his disappearance over the edge of the bank, but a minute later he was back again. Oui, madame, this is the cabin. I make investigation. No can find mans at home. But him no go ver far, ver long, or him no leave dogs. Him come quick, you bet. Help me out, Pierre. I'm tired all over from the boat. You might have made it softer, you know. From a nest of furs amidships, Karen Sather rose to her full height of slender fairness. But if she looked lily frail in her elemental environment, she was belied by the grip she put upon Pierre's hand, by the knotting of her woman's biceps as it took the weight of her body, by the splendid effort of her limbs as they held her out from the perpendicular bank while she made the ascent. Through her shapely, flesh-clothed, delicate frame, her body was a seat of strength. Still, for all the careless ease with which she had made the landing, there was a warmer color than usual to her face, and a perceptibly extra beat to her heart. But then, also, it was with a certain reverent curiousness that she approached the cabin, while the hush on her cheek showed a yet riper mellowness. "'Look, see,' Pierre pointed to the scattered chips by the woodpile. "'Him fresh, two, three day.' No more. Mrs. Sather nodded. She tried to peer through the small window, but it was made of greased parchment which admitted light while it blocked vision. Failing this, she went round to the door, half lifted the rude latch to enter, but changed her mind and let it fall back into place. Then she suddenly dropped on one knee and kissed the rough-hewn threshold. If Pierre Fontaine saw, he gave no sign, and the memory in the time to come was never shared. But the next instant, one of the boatmen, placidly lighting his pipe, was startled by an unwanted harshness in his captain's voice. "'Hey, you! Laguar! You make him soft more better,' Pierre commanded. "'Plenty bearskin! Plenty blanket! Damn!' But the nest was soon after disrupted, and the major portion tossed up to the crest of the shore, where Mrs. Sather lay down to wait in comfort. Reclining on her side, she looked out and over the wide, stretching Yukon. Above the mountains which lay beyond the further shore, the sky was murky with the smoke of unseen forest fires, and through this the afternoon sun broke feebly, throwing a vague radiance to the earth and unreal shadows. To the skyline of the four quarters, spruce-shrouded islands, dark waters, and ice-scarred rocky ridges stretched the immaculate wilderness. 
No sign of human existence broke the solitude, no sound the stillness. The land seemed bound under the unreality of the unknown, wrapped in the brooding mystery of great spaces. Perhaps it was this which made Mrs. Sather nervous, for she changed her position constantly, now to look up the river, now down, or to scan the gloomy shores for the half-hidden mouths of back channels. After an hour or so, the boatmen were sent ashore to pitch camp for the night, but Pierre remained with his mistress to watch. "'Ah, him come dis time,' he whispered, after a long silence, his gaze bent up the river to the head of the island. A canoe, with a paddle flashing on either side, was slipping down the current. In the stern a man's form, and in the bow a woman's, swung rhythmically to the work. Mrs. Sather had no eyes for the woman till the canoe drove in closer, and her bizarre beauty peremptorily demanded notice. A close-fitting blouse of moose-skin, fantastically beaded, outlined faithfully the well-rounded lines of her body, while a silken kerchief, gay of color and picturesquely draped, partly covered great masses of blue-black hair. But it was the face, cast-belike in copper bronze, which caught and held Mrs. Sather's fleeting glance. Eyes, piercing in black and large, with a traditionary hint of obliqueness, looked forth from under clear, stenciled, clean-arching brows. Without suggesting cadaverousness, though high-boned and prominent, the cheeks fell away and met in a mouth, thin-lipped and softly strong. It was a face which advertised the dimmest trace of ancient Mongol blood, a reversion, after long centuries of wandering, to the parent stem. This effect was heightened by the delicately aquiline nose with its thin, trembling nostrils, and by the general air of eagle wildness which seemed to characterize not only the face, but the creature herself. She was, in fact, the tartar type modified to idealization, and the tribe of Red Indian is lucky that breeds such a unique body once in a score of generations. Dipping long strokes and strong, the girl, in concert with the man, suddenly whirled the tiny craft about against the current and brought it gently to shore. Another instant, and she stood at the top of the bank, heaving up by rope, hand under hand, a quarter of fresh-killed moose. Then the man followed her, and together, with a swift rush, they drew up the canoe. The dogs were in a whining mass about them, and as the girl stooped among them caressingly, the man's gaze fell upon Mrs. Sather, who had arisen. He looked, brushed his eyes unconsciously as though his sight were deceiving him, and then looked again. "'Karen,' he said simply, coming forward and extending his hand. "'I thought for the moment I was dreaming. I went snow-blind for a time this spring, and since then my eyes have been playing tricks with me.' Mrs. Sather, whose flush had deepened and whose heart was urging painfully, had been prepared for almost anything save this coolly extended hand. But she tactfully curbed herself and grasped it heartily with her own. "'You know, Dave, I threatened often to come, and I would have, too, only—only—' only, "'Only I didn't give the word.' David Payne laughed and watched the Indian girl disappearing into the cabin. "'Oh, I understand, Dave, and had I been in your place I'd most probably have done the same.' "'But I have come, now.' "'Then come a little bit farther, into the cabin, and get something to eat,' he said, genially, ignoring or missing the feminine suggestion of appeal in her voice. "'And you must be tired, too. 
"'Which way are you traveling? Up? "'Then you wintered in Dawson, or came in on the last ice. "'Your camp?' "'He glanced at the voyageurs circled around the fire in the open, "'and held back the door for her to enter. "'I came up on the ice from Circle City last winter,' he continued, "'and settled down here for a while, "'and prospecting some on Henderson Creek, "'and if that fails, have been thinking of trying my hand "'this fall up the Stewart River. "'You aren't changed much, are you?' "'she asked, irrelevantly, "'striving to throw the conversation "'upon a more personal basis. "'A little less flesh, perhaps, "'and a little more muscle. "'How did you mean?' "'But she shrugged her shoulders "'and peered through the dim light "'at the Indian girl, "'who had lighted the fire "'and was frying great chunks of moose meat, "'alternated with thin ribbons of bacon. "'Did you stop in Dawson long?' The man was whittling a stave of birchwood into a rude axe handle and asked the question without raising his head. Oh, a few days, she answered, following the girl with her eyes and hardly hearing. What were you saying? In Dawson? A month, in fact, and glad to get away. The Arctic male is elemental, you know, and somewhat strenuous in his feelings. Bound to be when he gets right down to the soil. He leaves convention with the spring, bed at Bourne. "'He leaves convention with the spring bed at Bourne. "'But you were wise in your choice of time for leaving. "'You'll be out of the country before mosquito season, "'which is a blessing your lack of experience "'will not permit you to appreciate.' "'I suppose not,' she said. "'But tell me about yourself, about your life. "'What kind of neighbors have you, or have you any?' "'While she queried, she watched the girl "'grinding coffee in the corner of a flour sack "'upon the hearthstone.' With a steadiness and skill which predicated nerves as primitive as the method, she crushed the imprisoned berries with a heavy fragment of quartz. David Payne noted his visitor's gaze, and the shadow of a smile drifted over his lips. "'I did have some,' he replied. "'Missourian chaps, and a couple of Cornishmen, but they all went down to El Dorado to work at wages for a grubstake.' Mrs. Sather cast a look of speculative regard upon the girl." "'But, of course, there are plenty of Indians about.' "'Every mother's son of them down to Dawson long ago. "'Not a native in the whole country. "'Barring Winnipeg here, and she's a Koyokuk lass, "'comes from a thousand miles or so down the river.' "'Mrs. Sather felt suddenly faint, "'and although the smile of interest in no wise waned, "'the face of the man seemed to draw away to a telescopic distance, "'and the tiered logs of the cabin to whirl drunkenly about. "'But she was bidden to draw up to the table, and during the meal discovered time and space in which to find herself. She talked little, and that principally about the land and the weather, while the man wandered off into a long description of the difference between the shallow summer diggings of the lower country and the deep winter diggings of the upper country. "'You do not ask why I came north?' she asked. "'Surely you know.' They had moved back from the table, and David Payne had returned to his axe handle. Did you get my letter? A last one? No, I don't think so. Most probably it's trailing around the Birch Creek country, or lying in some trader's shack on the lower river. The way they run the mails in here is shameful. No order, no system, no. Don't be wooden, Dave, help me. She spoke sharply now, with an assumption of authority which rested upon the past. "'Why don't you ask me about myself? "'About those we knew in the old times. "'Have you no longer any interest in the world?' 
"'Do you know that my husband is dead?' "'Indeed. I, I am sorry. How long?' "'David!' She was ready to cry with vexation, but the reproach she threw into her voice eased her. "'Did you get any of my letters? You must have got some of them, though you never answered.' "'Well, I didn't get the last one, announcing, evidently, the death of your husband, and most likely others went astray. But I did get some. I, er, I, er, read them aloud to Winnipe as a warning. That is, you know, to impress upon her the wickedness of her white sisters. And I, I think she profited by it. Don't you?' She disregarded the sting and went on. "'In the last letter, which you did not receive, "'I told, as you have guessed, of Colonel Sather's death. "'That was a year ago. "'I also said that if you did not come out to me, "'I would go into you. "'And as I had often promised, I came.' "'And then he responded, "'I know of no promise.' "'Yes, you promised, "'but as I neither asked nor answered, "'it was unratified. "'So I do not know of any such promise.' "'How about in the earlier letters?' "'Yes, you promised, "'but as I neither asked nor answered, "'it was unratified, "'so I do not know of any such promise. "'But I do know of another, "'which you, too, may remember. "'It was very long ago.' "'He dropped the axe handle to the floor "'and raised his head. "'It was so very long ago, "'yet I remember it distinctly, "'the day, the time, every detail. "'We were in a rose garden,' "'You and I, your mother's rose garden. "'All things were budding, blossoming, "'and the sap of spring was in our blood. "'And I drew you over. "'It was the first, and kissed you full on the lips. "'Don't you remember?' "'Don't go over it, Dave, don't. "'I know every shameful line of it. "'How often have I wept, "'if you only knew how I have suffered. "'You promised me then, "'I, and a thousand times, "'in the sweet days that followed.' Each look of your eyes, each touch of your hand, each syllable that fell from your lips was a promise. And then, how shall I say, there came a man. He was old, old enough to have begotten you, and not nice to look upon. But as the world goes, clean. He had done no wrong, followed the letter of the law, was respectable. Further, and to the point, he possessed some several paltry minds, a score, it doesn't matter, and he owned a few miles of lands, and engineered deals, and clipped coupons, he, but there were other things, she interrupted, I told you, pressure, money matters, want, my people, trouble, you understood the whole sordid situation, I couldn't help it, it was not my will, I was sacrificed, or I sacrificed, have it as you wish, but my God, "'Dave, I gave you up. "'You never did me justice. "'Think what I've gone through. "'It was not your will? "'Pressure? "'Under high heaven there was no thing to will you "'to this man's better that. "'But I cared for you all the time,' she pleaded. "'I was unused to your way of measuring love. "'I am still unused. "'I do not understand that. "'But now... Now? We were speaking of this man you saw fit to marry. What manner of man was he? Wherein did he charm your soul? What potent virtues were his? 
True, he had a golden grip, an almighty golden grip. He knew the odds. He was versed in cent per cent. He had a narrow wit and excellent judgment of the viler parts, whereby he transferred this man's money to his pockets, and that man's money, and the next man's money. And the law smiled. In that it did not condemn. Our Christian ethics approved. By social measure he was not a bad man. But by your measure, Karen, by mine, by ours of the Rose Garden, what was he? Remember, he is dead. The fact is not altered thereby. What was he? A great, gross, material creature, deaf to song, blind to beauty, dead to the spirit? He was fat with laziness and flabby-cheeked, and the round of his belly witnessed his gluttony. But he is dead. It is we who are now, now. Don't you hear? As you say, I have been inconstant. I have sinned. Good. But should you not, too, cry peccavi? If I've broken promises, have not you? Your love of the rose garden was of all time, or so you said. Where is it now? It is here, now, he cried, striking his breast passionately with a clenched hand. It has always been. And your love was a great love. There was none greater, she continued, or so you said in the rose garden, yet it is not fine enough, large enough, to forgive me here, crying now at your feet. The man hesitated. His mouth opened, words shaped vainly on his lips. She had forced him to bear his heart and speak truths which he had hidden from himself. And she was good to look upon, standing there in a glory of passion, "'calling back old associations and warmer life. "'He turned away his head that he might not see, "'but she passed around in front of him. "'Look at me, Dave, look at me. "'I am the same, after all. "'And so are you, if you would but see. "'We're not changed.' "'Her hand rested on his shoulder, "'and his had half-passed roughly about her "'when the sharp crackle of a match startled him to himself.' Winnipe, alien to the scene, was lighting the slow wick of the slush lamp. She appeared to start out against a background of utter black, and the flame, flaring suddenly up, lighted her bronze beauty to royal gold. "'You see, it is impossible,' he groaned, thrusting the fair-haired woman gently from him. "'It is impossible,' he repeated. "'I am not a girl, Dave, with girls' illusions,' she said softly, though not daring to come back to him. It is as a woman that I understand. Men are men. A common custom of the country. I am not shocked. I divined it from the first. But, ah, it is only a marriage of the country, not a real marriage. We do not ask such questions in Alaska, he interposed feebly. I know, but, well then, "'It is only a marriage of the country, nothing else. "'And there are no children? "'No. "'Nor, no, no, nothing. "'But it is impossible. "'But it is not. "'She was at his side again, "'her hand touching lightly, caressingly, "'the sunburned back of his. "'I know the custom of the land too well. "'Men do it every day. "'They do not care to remain here, "'shut out from the world.' For all their days, 
So they give an order on the PCC company for a year's provisions, some money in hand, and the girl is content. By the end of that time, a man... She shrugged her shoulders. And so with the girl here. We will give her an order upon the company. Not for a year, but for life. What was she when you found her? A raw, meat-eating savage? Fish in the summer, moose in the winter, feasting in plenty, starving in famine. But for you, that is what she would have remained. For your coming, she was happier. For your going, surely, with a life of comparative splendor assured, she'll be happier than if you had never been. No, no, he protested. It is not right. Come, Dave, you must see. She's not your kind. There's no race affinity. She's an aborigine, sprung from the soil, yet close to the soil, and impossible to lift from the soil. Born savage. Savage she will die. But we, you and I, the dominant, evolved race, the salt of the earth, and the masters thereof, we are made for each other. The supreme call is of kind, and we are of kind. Reason and feeling dictate it. Your very instinct demands it. That you cannot deny. You cannot escape the generations behind you. Yours is an ancestry which has survived for a thousand centuries, and for a hundred thousand centuries, and your line must not stop here. It cannot. Your ancestry will not permit it. Instinct is stronger than the will. The race is mightier than you. Come, Dave, let us go. We are young yet, and life is good. Come. Winnipe, passing out of the cabin to feed the dogs, caught his attention and caused him to shake his head and weakly to reiterate. But the woman's hand slipped about his neck, and her cheek pressed to his. His bleak life rose up and smote him. The vain struggle with pitiless forces, the dreary years of frost and famine, the harsh and jarring contact with elemental life, the aching void which mere animal existence could not fill. And there, seduction by his side, whispering of brighter, warmer lands, of music, light, and joy, called the old times back again. He visioned it unconsciously. Faces rushed in upon him, glimpses of forgotten scenes, memories of merry hours, strains of song, and trills of laughter. Come, Dave, come. I have for both. The way is soft. She looked about her at the bare furnishings of the cabin. I have for both. The world is at our feet, and all joy is ours. Come, come. She was in his arms, trembling, and he held her tightly. He rose to his feet, but the snarling of hungry dogs and the shrill cries of Winnipeg bringing about peace between the combatants came muffled to his ear through the heavy logs. And another scene flashed before him. A struggle in the forest. A bald-faced grizzly, broken-legged, terrible. The snarling of the dogs and the shrill cries of Winnipeg as she urged them to the attack, himself in the midst of the crush, breathless, panting, striving to hold off red death, broken-backed, Entrail ripped dogs howling in impotent anguish and desecrating the snow. The virgin white running scarlet with the blood of man and beast. The bear, ferocious, irresistible, crunching, crunching down to the core of his life. And Winnipe, at the last, in the thick of the frightful muddle, hair flying, 
eyes flashing, fury incarnate, passing the long hunting knife again and again. Sweat started to his forehead. He shook off the clinging woman and staggered back to the wall. And she, knowing that the moment had come, but unable to divine what was passing within him, felt all she had gained slipping away. Dave! Dave! she cried. I will not give you up. I will not give you up. If you do not wish to come, we will stay. I will stay with you. The world is less to me than are you. I will be a Northland wife to you. I will cook your food, feed your dogs, break trail for you, lift a paddle with you. I can do it. Believe me, I am strong. Nor did he doubt it, looking upon her and holding her off from him. But his face had grown stern and gray, and the warmth had died out of his eyes. I will, I will pay off Pierre and the boatman and let them go, and I will stay with you, priest or no priest, minister or no minister, go with you now, anywhere. Dave, listen to me. You say I did you wrong in the past, and I did. Let me make up for it. Let me atone. If I did not rightly measure love before, let me show that I can now. She sank to the floor and threw her arms about his knees, sobbing. And you do care for me. You do care for me. Think. The long years I've waited, suffered, you can never know. He stooped and raised her to her feet. Listen, he commanded, opening the door and lifting her bodily outside. It cannot be. We are not alone to be considered. You must go. I wish you a safe journey. You will find it tougher work when you get up by the sixty mile, but you have the best boatmen in the world, and you'll get through all right. Will you say goodbye? Though she already had herself in hand, she looked at him hopelessly. If Winnipe should... She quavered and stopped. But he grasped the unspoken thought and answered, Yes. Then struck with the enormity of it, It cannot be conceived. There is no likelihood. It must not be entertained. Kiss me. Kiss me. She whispered, her face lighting. Then she turned and went away. Break camp, Pierre, she said to the boatman, who alone had remained awake against her return. We must be going. By the firelight his sharp eyes scanned the woe in her face but he received the extraordinary command as though it were the most usual thing in the world. We, oui, madame, he assented. Which way? Dawson? No, she answered, lightly enough. Up, out, Daia. Whereat he fell upon the sleeping voyageurs, kicking them, grunting from their blankets, and buckling them down to the work, and all the while his voice, vibrant with action, was shrilling through all the camp. In a trice, Mrs. Sather's tiny tent had been struck. Pots and pans were being gathered up. Blankets rolled, and the men staggering under the loads to the boat. Here, on the banks, Mrs. Sather waited till the luggage was made shipshape and her nest prepared. "'We line up to the head of the island,' Pierre explained to her while running out the long tow-rope. "'Then we take to das back channel, where the water not quick, and I think we make good time.' A scuffling and pattering of feet in the last year's dry grass caught his quick ear, and he turned his head. 
the Indian girl, circled by a bristling ring of wolf-dogs, was coming toward them. Mrs. Sather noted that the girl's face, which had been apathetic throughout the scene in the cabin, had now quickened into blazing and wrathful life. "'What you do, my man?' she demanded abruptly of Mrs. Sather. "'Him lay on bunk, and him look bad all de time. "'I say, what the matter, Dave? You sick? "'But him no say nothing. "'After that, him say, "'Good girl, Winnipe. Go away. I be all right by and by. "'What you do, my man, huh? "'I think you bad woman.' Mrs. Sather looked curiously at the barbarian woman who shared the life of this man while she departed alone in the darkness of night. "'I think you bad woman,' Winnipe repeated in the slow, methodical way of one who gropes for strange words in an alien tongue. "'I think you better go away. No calm, no more, eh? What you think? I have one man. I, Indian girl. You, American woman.' You good to see. You find plenty men. Your eyes blue like the sky. Your skin so white, so soft. Coolly she thrust out a brown forefinger and pressed the soft cheek of the other woman. And to the eternal credit of Karen Sather, she never flinched. Pierre hesitated and half stepped forward, but she motioned him away, though her heart welled to him with secret gratitude. It's all right, Pierre, she said. "'Please go away.' "'He stepped back respectfully out of earshot, "'where he stood grumbling to himself "'and measuring the distance in springs. "'Mmm, white. "'Mmm, soft, like baby.' "'Winnipe touched the other cheek "'and withdrew her hand. "'By and by, mosquito come. "'Skin gets sore in spot. "'Swell, oh, so big. "'Mmm, hurt, oh, so much. "'Plenty mosquito.' Plenty spot. I think better you go now before mosquito come. This way, pointing down the stream. You go St. Michael's. That way, pointing up. Better you go Daia. Goodbye. And that which Mrs. Sather then did caused Pierre to marvel greatly, for she threw her arms around the Indian girl, kissed her, and burst into tears. Be good to him, she said. Be good to him. Then she slipped half down the face of the bank, called back goodbye, and dropped into the boat amidships. Pierre followed her and cast off. He shoved the steering oar into place and gave the signal. Laguire lifted an old French chanson. The men, like a row of ghosts in the dim starlight, bent their backs to the tow line. The steering oar cut the black current sharply, and the boat swept out into the night. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We always appreciate reviews, and here are a few recent ones. Perfection, five stars. Amazing stories. Left me spellbound. It's great if you're busy and don't have time to read books. Love their selection of literature. That from FY Hosh 101 at Apple Podcasts, India. And this one, five stars. Wonderful. Came across this looking for Christmas short stories. When I noticed all the stories by well-known writers, I realized I'd stumbled across a true find. Deserves more attention. Sylvan Boaz via Apple Podcast U.S. And this one, five stars, good pleasant voice. I've been looking for Sherlock Holmes audiobooks for some time, but found most of them read in an awkwardly fancy voice. This one isn't like that. 
Loving them so far. Roos RJM via Apple Podcast Netherlands. And this one, five stars. Love the story selections. Great classic stories and storytelling of all different lengths, so you can listen for any occasion. That's Davison 15, Apple Podcast US. Wonderful company. I listen to the show. Meanwhile, I'm working on watercolors, and I found great company on the host voice and the stories. Great selection of classics. Greetings from Costa Rica. Javier Marin Arts via Apple Podcasts, Costa Rica. And this one, five stars, thrilling. The stories are all classics. Some of them are new to me, and some of them are old favorites. Some stories are long, perfect for driving, exercising, or chores. Other stories are short, perfect for bedtime. The narrator's voice is familiar, comforting, and engaging. Kibosu via Apple Podcast, Canada. Thank you all so very, very, very much. Be sure to join us at our other show, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. You'll find easy links to this show and all the shows we do in our show notes today. Thank you all so much for your reviews. Thank you for your support, and thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon.